Welcome back to Season 2 of John Guest Remembers, the podcast chronicling the life and ministry of Pastor John Guest from his early childhood amidst the backdrop of World War II England to his leading the ministry here at Christ Church at Grove Farm. The stories in this podcast have been curated by one of the founding members of Christ Church at Grove Farm as part of our Every Member ministry effort and is a miniseries of another Every Member ministry podcast, Our Church, Our Stories. You can find all of the episodes of John Guest Remembers and Our Church, Our Stories on our webpage, ccgf.org podcast, as well as in all of the places you normally find podcasts by searching for CCGF Talks. This week, Pastor John recalls how his very busy ministry schedule led to some problems for him, which then led him to take his very first trip to America. We invite you now to join Pastor John as he recalls what it was like for him in those days as John Guest remembers. I'd been burning the candle on both ends for years. Across all my engineering training, my adolescence thereby, or my teenage years, into my college years, I played soccer for teams. Actually, playing for a club team in London, we got to an all-England final. So that would have been when I was about 20 or 21 in those years, toward the end of my uh, uh, engineering training. And we got to uh, an all-England final at the level at which we were playing, which was a couple of levels down from the pros that you see on television. But I was into soccer. I was into dancing. I would sometimes go dancing twice a week definitely into the movies of the day and uh, greatly influenced, as I have said earlier, by the American culture, uh, movies, music. I remember going to see, I just recently saw it on TV, uh, Elvis Presley in Jailhouse Rock. In fact, I took a young lady who became a good friend over the years. I introduced her to another young man and they married. And uh, she was really into Elvis. And so I took her to see Jailhouse Rock and was stunned that when Elvis turned up on the big screen, she whimpered. <laughs> I, I was like, ooh, you know, like, like, you know, almost as if he were there in, 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 you know, and she's screaming in life, real life. But I was into the culture. I was definitely into young ladies. And uh, that was my, you know, those years. And then in college, I captained uh, the college soccer team and cricket team played in their tennis team. I ran in a cross country race, though it was uh, I was one of the last guys coming in in our team. That wasn't my gift. Very busy in that workaday parish that I've mentioned in Barton Hill uh, with the kids there. I was off campus at least three times a week, involved in that. And then when I became uh, ordained, I was doing the ministry stuff running this youth group three times a week, running a soccer club, also playing in a soccer team myself. What it amounts to is, and this isn't, you know, I'm sharing something that is not generally known. I had a complete emotional breakdown in my third year, and I never let anyone know, but I, I became completely immobilized. So all I could do was sleep. I turned up for any meeting that I positively had to be present at. If I didn't have to be at the meeting or in the service at the church, 
I was in bed, completely wiped out. And uh, that, I don't know how long that lasted, but it had to be two or three weeks. It could have been longer because it was like a blackout time for me. Uh, and I gradually regained my uh, energy and uh, capacity to work and got by all that without ever saying anything to anybody. I'd actually moved out of my landlady's house, she would have known about it, into an independent apartment in that third year. So and I, whatever it took to eat, I just got by. And uh, that was complete exhaustion. And coming out of that, I still had my dinner with my landlady, who was just up the street from where my little apartment was. And one evening, I came home. I was still living with the lady because I came in. We had the TV on for news at about six o'clock, five or six o'clock. And that's where I first learned of President Kennedy being assassinated on the television. I remember that moment distinctly. And I remember another moment distinctly. There was a travelogue on English TV, and it was of a man going down solo in a little boat on the Jordan River, out of Jordan, down through uh, Israel, into Galilee, which is where it pours into, and then it pours out the other side of Galilee and goes in, down into the Dead Sea. This was uh, another piece of world history. He was doing this day by day, and it was being televised, and at the end of it, uh, serialized so that week by week you'd get an edition of his travels, the things he saw, and this was on black and white television. We didn't have color television in England in those days. I'm sitting watching that. So here he is by himself, making his way down the River Jordan. And the reason for his trip was this, that he was anticipating, so was much of the world, if they knew anything about it, the Jordan was threatened to be cross, uh, blocked off by the Jordanians so that the water wouldn't get through into Galilee and the rest of the Jordan and kind of cripple Israel, because that was a major source of water for all their irrigation. So this was touted as one of the last trips that anybody would be taking down the Jordan and into Israel on the Jordan. So that was the occasion. So I'm just watching it rather naively about the political scene, but completely enamored with a guy who's got nothing else to do but he had a little outboard motor, putter his way down the, the River Jordan and camp on his boat each night. And uh, it seemed just what I needed. So I thought I could take off. If I, when I'm done this curacy, my first three years, and before I do my second curacy, I'm going to take off six months and have myself an adventure and go around the world with no obligation no responsibility, work my way around. I felt I could do almost whatever labor I had to do for short term to earn money to make my way because I had no money. So it was, uh, that was the plan. And it was inspired by that travelogue. So that's what I planned on doing and did, nearly. So I had six months between my finishing up in Bristol, 
said my farewells, and uh, left my motorcycle and my gear there. My idea was to go through the USA, go the rich way around, and via friends, made contacts in the USA, and came to the USA with $30 in my pocket. A friend of a friend of a friend picked me up at Kennedy Airport, drove me down to Philadelphia. He was a Christian man, lover of Jesus. He was a salesman, and what we English back in England in those days, thought every American was. Very loud, aggressive, sort of culturally obnoxious. And uh, that's it. He picked me up at the airport in this fantastic vehicle, a 64 Chevy Impala, uh, forest green, what we call British racing green. You know, when he sat against his half of the car with me on the other half, (laughs) there was four or five feet between us, it seemed. And uh, he drove very casually, leaning against the door, one hand on the steering wheel. I'd never had anything to do with power steering. We, nothing, no vehicle I ever drove in England. I had a driver's license as well as my motorcycle license, but no power steering, just little vehicles that were geared to be maneuverable. In any case, uh, Tom Frierson was that man's name, and he changed my life in uh, every conceivable way. They wouldn't let me into the U.S. because I didn't have any money, and they weren't looking for somebody else to become dependent in the state. And via this friend of a friend of a friend, I got sponsored into the country. I'd actually gone to the American embassy in London to get a visa to come into the country, and I wanted to come in on a visitor's visa. I was only coming for six months. They told me that uh, I couldn't come in on a visitor's visa because I didn't have enough money to see me through the period of time that I intended being in the USA. And so I needed a green card. Well, via these friends, it was arranged that I could get a green card because the man who sponsored me into the country, who was the friend who got Tom Frierson to come and visit with me, he, via the friends of his in England, he was an Englishman living in the USA, was a very significant engineer. He worked for Haynes Hosiery. And he's the guy who invented the machinery that knitted pantyhose. And that was very, and he, by the way, had had the similar engineering training to me, which was interesting, had similar qualifications, which we spoke of when we met later. But he earned big bucks. So he sent his information to the uh, U.S. Embassy in England. And on the say-so of his uh, promising to see that I didn't become a dependent of the state and that he would back my visit, cover my visit financially, uh, I got a green card. But amazingly, this is just another little interlude. That cost me two of my six months. And for those two months, I lived with an aunt and uncle in London and drove a truck. I got myself a job. So here's the Reverend John Guest driving a truck around London delivering uh, different kinds of goods uh, to restaurants. Uh, And that was quite a trip, driving a truck around London, up and down very narrow streets into the backs of cafes and restaurants, delivering these various kinds of food items. So I did that for two months, which earned me some more money, but not a whole lot. I lived for free with this aunt and uncle. Anyway, I got my green card, had enough money to buy an air one-way air ticket, to the USA, 
and uh, flew into Kennedy Airport on a big jet, the first big jet that I'd ever flown on. Uh, so that got me there. So for the four months, as it turns out, I spent that whole four months in the USA. To, to, and the, the stepping stones to that were that the church where this man Tom Frierson worshipped was without a senior pastor. It was a beautiful church in an area of uh, Philadelphia called Germantown, which is an old area. The street on which I was living was like a schoolhouse lane, which was an ancient part of Philadelphia. There was a Quaker school there, some older properties. It was an interesting area to be in. This church, Church of the Atonement, was uh, being serviced by a on a part-time basis with preachers coming in from a local seminary on the weekends. So they asked me, would I like to preach? Would I preach for them for one of these weekends? And I said, uh, sure. So I preached. They gave me like a hundred bucks, hundred dollars, just to preach for the weekend, which was like real money for me in those days. And it's interesting what happened, because immediately I, the service was over, I saw at the back of the church the leaders of the church gathering and chatting together. And I wasn't adding two and two at that point, but after that, one of them came, and it was Tom Frierson, he was a leader in that church, and asked me for as long as I was around Philadelphia, would I preach for them? So I said, yeah, well, for as long as I'm around, but you need to know that I'm, you know, I'm traveling and I'm not looking to run anything. This was time out. And I had enough older material from preaching in my first three years that I could put together a sermon once a week and maybe a Bible study uh, here and there. So that's what happened. <laughs> what do you know? They found a place for me to stay with another elderly widow on this fa fabulous part of old Philadelphia, leased me a car, brand new car to drive around in. And that was a, it was a V8 engine, Ford Custom. And that was huge. And that, you know, you could almost get the front end of the vehicle to stand up on. The, 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 the engine was so powerful with rear-wheel drive. So they gave me a place to live, took care of the lady, and put about 100 bucks a week into my pocket. So that was working. Well, with my friendship with Tom Frierson, that was life-changing. Because together we traveled... I traveled with him on some of those, his journeys as a, stayed in the motel that he was staying in, spoke here and there with, to Christian people around the U.S. that he knew, went to a huge intervarsity conference out in, uh, in the early part of January. So that would have been, if that was 64 now that I was there, so that would be early 65, the winter of 64, 65. There was a huge missionary conference in Urbana, Illinois, held, led by InterVarsity. And somebody paid for me to fly out there and see, be at that conference, which was about four or five days long with, I think, some, a guy like John Stott doing the Bible study, uh, something like about 10,000 students from around the USA gathered at the university for those days. And uh, I remember Billy Graham being the speaker of the weekend at uh, the major conference part of it, the conclusion. So uh, that was my first experience of something like that with American university students.
and I was just a participant in the three or four day conference, a band of missionary, which has gone on since then. But I ended up spending the rest of those four months in the USA. I remember traveling down to Savannah, Georgia, and uh, down into Jekyll Island with Tom Frierson and his wife. In fact, that's an interesting escapade. That was, we, it was a Sunday night. We'd just come back from evening church where I'd preached at the Church of the Atonement. We were in Tom Frierson's home watching TV, and there was a ugly ice storm outside. I mean, like it was raining, pellets of rain, frozen. And I'd never seen anything like that. The winter in the USA fascinated me because we don't have winters like that. We don't have sub-zero weather in England. So you had to scrape off the car that was parked out of doors, Tom Frierson's car, scrape the snow off to get into it, drive carefully on the roads. And uh, so here we are with about six inches of granular frozen rain out on the street. Never seen anything like it. And uh, in diet, warm in the house, watching them. And up comes the weather forecast for the USA. Well, I knew what it was like in Philadelphia, but it was describing Florida, which is on the same continent. So we're looking at summer weather in Florida. So I said to the Frierson's that night, I said, is there anything stopping us driving down to Florida? They said, just my work. And they had uh, teenage kids at home. They had three kids, one in middle school, a couple in middle school, and one in high school, I remember. Anyway, they had these three kids. So I said, well, why don't we do that? And Tom chatted with his wife, Alice. He said, well, I can visit these particular cities because that's where my business is. So we could do that. I said, well, well, could we start out tonight? And they chatted with each other. Well, they had relatives living on that street, like the mother of... Tom Frierson, living on that street. So she said she could take care of the kids. So wouldn't you know it, we packed it all up. The English would never do anything like this. I'm becoming Americanized now. I'm thinking like an American, we can do this. And we got a couple of pillows in the car and we started driving that night. Drove steadily out of the slush and the rain and the frozen ice of uh, Philadelphia. By the time we got down to Washington, things were tidying up in the weather, and we drove through the night and took turns driving. And we drove in my car with this big V8 engine. One of us would sleep in the back. I remember Alice sleeping in the back while the two of us drove, taking turns. By early morning, like about six or seven in the morning, we were in North Carolina, which was beautiful. The daffodils were coming up, the birds were singing. And we pulled into a cafe for breakfast. Uh, that They said, you've got to eat this southern breakfast. So I'm now eating grits and a Smithfield ham, smoked ham for breakfast with eggs over easy. <laughs> I'd never tasted anything like grits, which were tasteless. You know, I said, you eat these for breakfast. Then we started spending the night in uh, different motels. We got down to Savannah. We drove through North Carolina, down through South Carolina. That's the first time I ever saw Spanish moss, except in movies, because I'd seen that in movies and uh, pretty dangerous sorts of movies too, you know, where you've got guys out in the swamps in boats you know, committing murder and they're you know, making their escape with Spanish moss wafting in the trees and 
here we are now driving into such uh, an area and climate. That was all amazing. And I took to it like a duck to water. If you are enjoying this podcast, let us know on Facebook or Instagram. You can find more episodes of John Guest Remembers and Christchurch's other podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our webpage, ccgf.org, or wherever you find your podcasts. And since this episode is going live on Thanksgiving Day, all of us here at Christchurch at Grove Farm hope you are having, or have had, a very blessed Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening.